It's about democratizing and and fulfilling the philosophy of Arweave as a way of being permanent and being accessible because it is without these tools, it's a little harder to figure out. There are people figuring out solutions, but they're not as hands-on. So you're like bringing like, like Prometheus, bringing the fire to people. Well, I, I think so. Right. Um, yeah. The RFS is the data protocol, right? That's the, the way information is classified that goes into the permaweb and the gateway similarly has its own protocol that it communicates to apps um, with and other gateways, but the gateway, you know, services RFS, right? Mm. It responds to those uh, queries for the index. It, it really, it's what makes RFS happen. Um, and other data protocols that are built on Arweave that really uh, uses the index um, to return information. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. good pairing, and um, you know we think that as we you know release RIO, um, it's possible that we could have an RIO gateway that's tuned just for the R drive community that provides the best experience for RFS and other R drive specific uh, features. Um, right, that's one of the the great things that we want to do with RIO is make it so that the gateway operator can tune it to fit their needs and. Uh, their needs and their users' needs. You're tuned to the Rcast, where we talk about the blockchain on the Rcast and how your data remains. It's the Rcast, where R drive is the topic. Censorship resistant permanence. Yeah, we got it. Hey, friends, it's episode 15 of the Rcast. We have a very special guest, Phil Materis, who created R drive. He's the founder of the company. We talk a lot about his background working for other companies his love of gaming, music, and how he's brought all these passions together to recapture the magic of the early years of the internet with permanent storage. So great interview. I really enjoyed talking to Phil about all this stuff because we have we always have a lot of meetings, but sometimes I want to ask more questions about like, why? Why are we doing this? How can this help the world? Like, what is the philosophy behind the integration of RFS and what can RIO do to help further the mission? We talk about all these things. So check out the episode. Thank you, Phil, for being on the show. We are running Inferno. Holler. So if you want to get rewarded with those sweet R-Drive tokens, you can learn more at rdrive.io slash Inferno and check out the leaderboard, inferno.rdrive.io. You'll see who has uploaded what, how everyone ranks. It's super dope. Also, we just launched a satisfaction survey. We want to know more about what you think about R-Drive, how we can make it better. So check out rdrive.typeform.com slash user survey. Shout out to Allison for putting this together. Remember to capitalize the U in user and S in survey. We're just going to make R-Drive better and better and better. This is my interview with Phil. Welcome to the Rcast. I'm here with the R-Drive founder, Phil Materis. You come from a really interesting world because you've done, you come from a world of data and worlds of finance and computer science. And it's interesting how you've built such a large team with R-Drive and RIO. And at the Open Web Foundry Gathertown, that was one of the things people were saying after your talk. They were like, wow, the R-Drive team is gigantic. And I guess my first question is, when you left KPMG and began this journey, 
in decentralized storage. Did you ever imagine your team would have so many people? No, I guess I didn't, um, which is kind of like, I, like duh, you know, like I, I should have imagined that, right? If we were to really scale up, then we would involve a, a lot of people, both close to the team and in the community. Um, but yeah, I remember like the first person I tried to hire, um, you know, it's like, a, I remember when I first got on the phone call, it dawned on me that I had to kind of play the HR department and really, you know, kind of hype up the company and why it would be good to work here and the exciting things you'd be doing. And, and yeah, talk about like, just the good reasons and the good things, the good culture and the, uh, the good community we're trying to build. Um, that was definitely something I did not expect. Um, Cause you're right at KPMG, I worked with big teams all across the world, um, all different time zones. And it was just something, I guess, yeah, in my career was just always one of those things. Um, I was always involved in many different projects um, and the teams were from everywhere. So, um, so I guess it's a, a a little suiting that I would were have been to find myself kind of in that same situation of building a team that spans across time zones and, and cultures and comes together and, and ultimately builds some great things. Let's rewind a little bit because I think it's interesting to talk about your origin story. And that's kind of what I wanted this episode to serve as like the fill that the Arweave community doesn't really know outside oh of all the all all the work you do, but, um, and how it kind of has driven you to be the captain of this very specific journey in permanent decentralized storage and bringing it to the masses in the easiest way possible. So I remember when I interviewed with you like a year ago now, yep. I asked you, what was, what was one of your dreams for our drive and how could, um, someone helping with the community team help achieve that dream? And, and you wanted to regain the magic of the early years of the internet where you felt like it was things were new and you were figuring things out for the first time and everything felt like the new frontier and and this role has kind of brought back that magic do you still feel that's true definitely um and i guess some of the magic has kind of been demystified to a degree because we have more answers now than we did a year ago Right, um, but there's still new technologies that we're building. Right, like last year, RIO and doing decentralized gateways, that wasn't that wasn't a thing for us then, right? And that is now. Um, so there's definitely um, some very interesting things going on there, and it is kind of this new frontier that, you know, there's kind of more questions than answers, and there's not exactly one right way to do things, and we're constantly experimenting, and yeah, it's just it 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 makes it fun. Um, because, you know, the story kind of hasn't been written uh, to a degree, I think. What was the journey from like the middle school metalhead Phil to the blockchain advocate Phil? If we can like summarize the, that story, I know that's a gigantic part of your life, but like what were the steps that brought you brought you to blockchain in the first place? And then we'll talk about how you discovered Arweave. I guess growing up, I was always a little anti-establishment, right? Um a little kind of like fight the man, fight the power <laughs> kind of kind of attitude. Um, I, I didn't really like people telling me what to do, um, but I was also pretty average, to be honest, right? So I constantly had this inner turmoil of like wanting to really be something more, but I kind of couldn't really break out of that that mold um, that I was in. Um, and I guess listening to music like that, you know, kind of. 
I don't know. It, it kind of helped, you know, manage those feelings to a degree. Um, and, you know, especially when it comes to playing music and, and being a musician and playing guitar and bass. And, you know, lately I've been, I've been playing drums. I think, um, you know, that really scratches the creative part of my brain, which is in like kind of, I think the same area as the creative part of the brain that helps you design systems and write programs and software. Um, I really feel like, uh, yeah, it involves the, the same kind of thinking of, of taking nothing and, and making something out of it and iterating on it and getting feedback from other, other people um, on the team or on the band, right, um, on what you're, what you're creating and ultimately making that thing better and then bringing it out to the world and having other people enjoy that thing too, right? It's just on one hand, it could be music. The other hand, it's, it's software. Um, so yeah, growing up, um, I was kind of doing both, you know, I was always really interested in computers. Um, I remember, gosh, I don't even, I don't remember which grade I was in, maybe sixth grade, fifth grade. And I wanted to make my own operating system. And I had no idea what an operating system was. And I was just thinking about how the screens could look and why it could be better than whatever it was at the time. I think maybe Windows 95 or something. And yeah, so I was just always kind of interested in computers and how things worked. And, um, you know, when it came down to doing programming, though, I wasn't so great at it. You know, I went to school for computer science and it was kind of tough for me to um yeah i guess get the focus to sit there and you know program all day um and you know i think about what how our engineering team works now and how the team programs and, and builds code and it's not at all like what i was doing then like i feel like the team's very active and communicative with one another but back then to me you know being a developer seemed like oh you're sitting in front of a computer you know, all day, every day, just you and, and the code. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't very good at that. And I didn't really like that. I kind of liked being in front of other people talking about technology, kind of, uh, you know, taking away or, or explaining things in, in a way that other people can understand. Um, and I guess that's why when I actually graduated school, you know, I went more towards like consulting um, and meeting with clients and customers and, kind of being a good face for, yeah, a consulting group or, or you know, a team trying to install stuff or, or manage um, some kind of solution. And, uh, yeah, I guess I was, I was pretty good at that and kind of grew up, you know, my career through that kind of lens of doing more consulting and then getting into infrastructure deployment and kind of managing services. And it's just a very, very organic way for me to, to grow, I guess, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good answer or not. Um, I don't know how that ties into metal because it's, it's really strange, I guess. Oh, here, here you go. Maybe this is what, what brings it all back, right? So um, yeah, I ended up working for you know, Fortune 100 companies, right? Uh, ended up working in boardrooms for different chiefs of different business areas, right? And it really just got to the point where it was like, you know, what am I doing, right? Who am I, who am I building things for? What value does it actually have to the world? Um, and it was kind of like that metal music, that anti-establishment kind of inner, you know, teenage angsty fill that, that really 
brought it back and brought out this kind of entrepreneur of somebody who really wanted to take destiny into his own hands versus just kind of follow this career path that I ended up on. Um, and that's what I think, you know, our drive is doing, right? We're, we're, we're doing things that can change the world. And there was nothing about my career that I could say, you know, with full honesty, um, that was really world changing compared to kind of what, what we're trying to do now. When I think of metal, people who love metal and who perform metal, there's two like species in my mind. There's like prog metal heads who love technical stuff like Rush and like crazy time signatures and are reading music and they're big like like musician fans, music theory fans. And then you have like the Slayer Anthrax thrash fans who are kind of more about like that kind of has more ethos and punk like let's set it up let's play let's learn these riffs and let's just go as fast as we can and it seems like your management style is a fusion of these two things because like you have the the morning calls with the engineers and then you'll talk to anthony and me about abstract ways to engage the community and ways metaphors of ways to explain the technology and then you're you're, you're having to shift between like those two sides of, of the metalhead, would you see yourself on one end of that spectrum, either a thrash or prog fan? Or are you kind of in the middle? Um, and is that apt? Is that is that metaphor apt? Totally. No, totally. I, I, I definitely um, see that. And I see myself as both from like, like what we're doing with the team and, and as like relating to metal music. I like all of those those genres when used right. I like a band that matures and kind of maybe they start all thrashy and a little rough and a little rugged and you know they don't have the funds to get the nice recording or get all the good effects of on their instruments or do the big tour, right? But then the band gets a following, they learn their instruments better, right? They gel together, they release a few more albums. And their sound matures. And you can tell the difference between a band who's been a band for 20 years versus who hasn't been, right? And some of those bands, by the way, they also create new genres of music and then do this and and grow. Um, So like me personally, I don't like bands that just stay that one dimension, Mm. right? Um, And it's, you know, on one hand, it's hard for me as you know, whatever CEO to kind of wear every hat and go from like real in the weeds, you know, engineering day-to-day stuff to, oh, now what's going on with the community or, oh, now we got to think about what we're doing with the token. And, you know, it's really wearing every every single hat. Um, but I feel like we're maturing as we go. And the music we're making is, is kind of getting better and we're working better with one another throughout the whole process. So, um yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, I think to to yeah correlate the two, right? Like genres of music and and kind of yeah management style and, and dealing with with different things. And I think Phil, to me, the most interesting people and the most successful people who who find like peace and happiness in life are people who are able to kind of abstract these universal truths and patterns and understand about things more than just their field, right? So like you being someone who's worked in data, worked in consulting, worked in music and all these things makes it so you can relate to a a broad spectrum of people. And I wonder like, does it ever get to the point with running R-Drive and RIO and everything? Like, how do you, 
step back and you have the skill of talking to all these different people all the time. Everyone's hollering at you at Slack all day. Like, how are ways you unplug? You know, I thought it was hard to unplug before working at a big four accounting firm where there's just constant demands, right? But now it's like there's constant demands and it's all the responsibility on you know, the, the leader, the, the founder, um, or most of the responsibility, right? So it's definitely hard to, to unplug uh, nowadays. Um, but I think one of the things that, uh, one of the big reasons that I do like to unplug is just spending time with, with my family. Um, you know, starting our drive and, and doing what we're doing, we're, we're fully remote. Um, there's no office that we go to right? We all sign in on the morning on the Slack and we have our different meetings. Um, but for all intents and purposes, everyone on the team, their house is their, is their office. So I think it makes it even more challenging to kind of unplug when you're technically in your office um, all day. Um, so yeah, I, I find that unplugging really means to focus my time and energy on, on something or, or someone else. And I you know, try to spend that with my family. Luckily in my office, I have I don't know if you've seen me on on Zoom meetings or whatever, but I have all my guitars. I have my my drum set behind me, so it actually is kind of nice to be able to have short short little sessions of just being able to like. If there's a break between calls, you know, go and unplug for 15, 20 minutes and just like play something, and kind of inadvertently think about a problem, but also be playing some music. It's kind of a fun thing to to do, and and gives me a fresh take on on certain, certain scenarios. Um, but you know, when we're talking about vacation, it's like, I feel like you need, ultimately I need several days to unplug. It's hard to just unplug for a day or two. Right. Um, take some effort, I think, to get away from things, uh, in the hyper-connected world that we're, we're in today. Right. And like when you're hanging out with your family, there's so much you can talk about, like, oh, today the gateway did this, and we got this retweet and this and that. Yeah, man. But you want to kind of like be like permanent storage. <laughs> you yeah, like your passion. Your passion is that, but you also probably want to like talk about, uh, like the other day I was like, hey, Phil, I asked you a question and you were playing Hungry Hungry Hippos with your daughter, and you were like, yeah. this is what I'm doing right now. I'm like, I I was like, oh, like I interrupted you at family time, but I thought it was cool. You like made time for that. You know what I mean? Like, how do you just? Unplug and are your well, is your family tired of hearing about our drive? Um, well, it's that's that's the thing, right? So you message me on Slack, and I'm sitting there with my phone, right? So it's like I'm trying to spend time, but it's like, is it really being disconnected? If you're just looking at your phone and responding to every single message like right away, <laughs> um, so yeah, and you know, luckily I have a really really supportive family and uh you know supportive wife and no they they haven't heard enough of it um you know if, if anything from from my family it's more when can i use it right and um as you know andrew right we're still trying to Im- improve the ability for people to get ar and, and purchase you know permanent storage so um yeah it's it's just tough focusing on some other things when you just have our drive and rio and our weave on the brain like 24 <laughs> 7 do you feel like now, a year later, you've built this giant team? If you were to disappear for a week, do you have faith that you could turn off your phone and you'd come back and we'd be better than ever? Or is that still hundred percent? Okay. Yeah, maybe not better than ever, right? Um, but I have <laughs> at, at this point, no joke. Like 
hundred percent. Yeah. If, if I were to go away for a week or a couple of weeks or, you know, anything like that, I mean, I know between the engineering team that we have and the marketing team and Andrew yourself and, and Anthony, I mean, I know you guys can not just keep the lights on, right. But continue doing the mission, right. Continue spreading the word and, and innovating. Um, I have no, I have no concerns, um, yeah, about that, um, which is, I think is great. I, I don't know if I would say that a year ago, right? Um, but we're in a pretty good spot now, I think. Briefly, Phil, what was your journey from KPMG into into blockchain, and like, how did you discover Are We Even? Was it was it sequential, or was it kind of like a linear journey? Even going back to, you know, my my childhood, I was always a video game player, right? As soon as I was able to get online, you know, talking about early technologies, you know, remember using like AOL with dial up and like, man, how painful was, was dial up. I feel like that's one of the equivalents of like the hurdles we're trying to get through with web threes, you know, those kinds of frictions. Um, anyway, I remember playing games and joining online communities from a really long time ago. Right. So I always had that, that mindset of, yeah, just wanted to participate in different communities and chat with people in chat rooms. Right. Uh, just have that kind of banter. Um, and of course, as internet got more popular and game playing got heavier, right? I was, I played Counter-Strike for a few, a few years, like really serious, <laughs> serious in air quotes. Um, and, you know, again, wor- that's working with people that you don't know, and you're trying to come together online and complete goals. I played a lot of World of Warcraft. Again, people coming together and doing big dungeons and trying to beat bosses and get, you know, all that World of Warcraft stuff. But it all related to kind of community building and online teamwork and leadership of just getting people together for a common kind of goal. Um, So I always like, yeah, liked participating in those kinds of communities. So that was one of the really cool things about crypto and and blockchain. is just like this community aspect, right? That surrounds all, you know, pr- pretty much every project um, in the space, like has some kind of community or is community driven. Um, so, you know, when I, I remember seeing the first, uh, um, it was the Microsoft Ethereum, uh, the Microsoft Enterprise Ethereum Alliance or something. And I remember seeing that at my desk at KPMG and I was like, what is this? Um, you know, if Microsoft is giving some credence to Ethereum, it's got to be legit. Um, and that first turned turned you know turned me on to blockchain and crypto. And then I discovered these community aspects, and I discovered mining, and um, you know went down that whole rabbit hole that I'm sure many people have gone down, right? Um, yeah. And you know, mining Ethereum is like really the thing that that got me into that rabbit hole. It's like, oh man, I could set up a server and operate it and spend time on it and I'll make money. Wow. That's so cool. Um, that's like a great hobby. Let's, let's jump into it. Um, because that's what I was doing at KPMG. I was deploying servers, right. Um, and not just deploying them, but architecting systems and all all that good stuff. So, you know, being a miner kind of, kind of spoke to me and seeing how there were these communities that existed, um, in discord and telegram, like it was just, yeah, I felt like a natural, you know, in that that kind of space. Um, so then, of course, when I saw Arweave, right, this really awesome zero to one technology that didn't exist anywhere else, 
in combination with potential to, oh, you're a miner at the beginning and you could earn a lot of profit with the ability to create or help create, right? Um, a, a new online community that was like, you know, the trifecta uh, for me. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, 2018 was kind of when I, I first found, um, you know, the Arweave Discord and, you know, helped with their, their testnet phase and helped onboard miners in, in, in the, the mainnet. Um, and even through that bear market, when everyone thought our weave was a scam and, you know, the team was never going to list on, on an exchange, uh, you know, I knew the community was, uh, passionate about, you know, the network and I knew the technology worked and yeah, I guess it was really having some, having a bit of faith, um, which I typically don't do. <laughs> um, uh, but that, that certainly helped in, in that period of, of my life, right? When you're really looking at this thing and you know the potential that uh, it could turn into and you just stick with it and you just work hard. Um, and it comes true, right? Um, it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, you, you talked about faith and that's an interesting topic because like we yeah. dedicate ourselves to these projects because we believe that we can make the world better, solve a lot of the ills. And I know the web two, web three dichotomy of web two bad, web three good, like that's kind of raises alarms mm -hmm. because it's yeah. not necessarily true. But for me, becoming a dad, I um, realized that like either I was going to be super hopeful about the future or kind of like uh, increasingly cynical as I've traveled and <laughs> met a lot of people. And, and being a parent, especially during the pandemic, like made me think more positively. And I'm wondering, sounds like the chronology of this and you getting into our chain slash our weave in the early years coincides with you becoming a, a dad slightly, right? Did those two events mm -hmm. line up a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. They, they sure, they sure did. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my, my daughter was born right during that whole period of like crypto discovery and going down the blockchain rabbit hole and, you know, the, the bull market and the bear market crash. So it's, um, it was a very fast moving time, uh, in my life. Um, not as fast as the days go by today. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I feel like once you have children, time just goes by faster. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does dude. And, and it goes by faster and, but it gives everything sort of a, a, a bigger meaning. Like you're building this platform that can then help, I don't know, help a lot of people in the ways that the internet did not exist when we were your daughter's age. And I'm wondering, does that drive you? Do you think about that? If you weren't a parent, would you still have the same optimistic uh, faith in our weave and, and all the R drive adventures or are they unrelated? Or have you thought about that even? No, I've, I've, I've definitely thought about it. Um, I mean, cause on one hand you could say, oh, well, if you didn't have those kinds of commitments of being a parent or a family, then you can work a lot harder, right. And maybe do more stuff. Um, but I don't think that necessarily is a good thing. And I don't necessarily think you get the same kind of results. Um, and I do feel like what I'm doing now, um, and the things that I'm learning that I'm able to share with with my daughter and my family, it's, it's above and beyond the experiences that I would have gotten kind of working somewhere else. 
Um, so I'm definitely getting kind of more life lessons and, and stories under my belt that I can share, mm-hmm. whether we're successful or not in the long term, right? And you know, to a huge degree, I already feel incredibly successful for how far we've gotten, right? We've released a product, we've raised money, we've built a community, we have something that's working, that's saving people's data for hundreds of years. So there's already so much to to be proud of. And yeah, I do think, you know, coming back to your, your original question, I think, you know, if I wasn't a dad, I would certainly be more cynical and pessimistic. And uh, I don't think that makes for a good leader and a good manager, right? So um, yeah, probably wouldn't have been as successful if, if I didn't have, you know, that whole experience in my life. Villanarios, where did that name come from? Am I pronouncing it right? Villanarios, Villanarios, Violinarios, Vile, Villain, all like the nicknames around it. Um, where did it come from? Um, gosh, I don't know what it was. Some message board. Okay. Long story short, a message board for a black metal band uh, named Cradle of Filth. British Love them. Uh, black metal band. Talk about a band who has changed and matured their sound and went from like really rough, but kind of new genre defining kind of new sound to yeah, what, what they are now. Haven't listened to them much lately. Um, anyway, from what I remember, I was, I don't know, surfing the internet and I came upon this message board and there was a poster there and I think they were named uh, Violinarios, and I thought it was a cool name. And I started using it as a handle in video games and other chat rooms. So not too original of, a, of an origin story for that. Um, I like to think I put it to much more good use than somebody in you know, uh, a message board somewhere. But yeah, so I don't, uh, to me doesn't mean anything there's no hidden meaning it's just like cool name that i use in video games <laughs> um, but it's definitely been a handle that i've had for over 20 years so it's yeah if you said volunarios in a crowd and i'm there i'll definitely turn around and be like hey so wait so someone it was like a it was like a description under a jpeg or a, or was it a, another community name you just thought was tight some other person's name i just thought was cool yeah and i was like oh this is cool i'm gonna make that my name and I left it my name for a really long time and would use it for different clans and guilds and, you know, wherever there was a name. Um, and I've, you know, I've had other handles in online games too, but that's always been like my number one go-to. If I'm playing a new RPG, for example, first character name, Valenarios. The Cradle of Filth cover that I love is their Iron Maiden Hallowed Be Thy Name cover. Do you know that song? Awesome one. So good. Yeah. And I was in a, this is a tangential story. I was playing a show in Melbourne this after party and they were there and they were in the back and I gave them a shout out nice. and I was like, Hey, th- th- this cradle of filth are in the house. They do great iron maiden covers. And they came back and I talked to them for a while and they were very sweet and humble. The only reason I mentioned that story is because it's another example of worlds being connected through music, through, <laughs> through genre, That's right. through the internet. Um, so, so black metal. So this could be a whole nother conversation, but I always think of the story of Vard Vikernes killing Euronymous <laughs> over the contract dispute because, because Euronymous had put out the Burzum records, right? And Varg felt like yeah, he owed him yeah. more money. So they came over to talk about the unsigned contract. And I was like, I wonder if Phil has an idea if there had been a permanent data solution to keep this contract 
available. How, do you think our drive could have obviated the death of Aronimus and maybe Mayhem would still be the great band it was? Um, probably not, because I thought, <laughs> didn't, didn't he think he was like more evil than, or he thought the other guy was more evil than him too or something? I don't know. Um, but it, <laughs> yeah, it brings up an, an interesting thought about, and I think you mentioned this before, like if permanent storage existed in these kind of historical situations where a contract or a piece of information, you know, could have been saved instead of destroyed. Like what would the, what would those effects have been? Um, yeah. In the case of mayhem, probably wasn't one of their album covers too, like the murder scene. The, yeah. The guy, the first, the first singer two, killed himself. Right. And then, and then Aronimus kept a piece right. of his skull around his neck. Skull, and so there's a yeah, bootleg, yeah. which is yeah. the dude's, <laughs> head blown apart and that's that would be something you could save on a hard drive if you got banned from spotify forever yeah <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. need to carry skull around you'd have the block weave transaction id yeah i mean i think black metal as a genre is definitely pretty extreme right um and it's not like i just woke up one day and was like i'm gonna listen to emperor um, it was definitely an evolution of of musical tastes, but I do think it's a great genre. It's very unique sounding. I think they're, uh, yeah, it it speaks to me to a degree, and for you know certain situations, it's not like uh, every day is a black metal day, right? <laughs> I could certainly get down to some Grateful Dead uh, as well, right? Um, but yeah, it, talk about something that uh, kind of broke from the mold of of previous genres and. You know, some individuals that really tried to do uh, something different and built a new community that wasn't initially accepted. And, you know, yeah, it's not the biggest genre, but I think it, it survived. It's not like it, it disappeared in the 90s when it first kind of started, you know. And, and there's bands like Deaf Heaven, like the uh, Shoegaze Black Metal. Yeah. You know them? Have you listened to them? Yeah, sure do. They're awesome. Uh, here's two scenarios where blockchain could have prevented literary tragedies. You ready? Yeah. Tell me if you agree or not. Okay. Romeo and Juliet. If the note had been preserved <laughs> through our drive, would Romeo have taken the poison? Juliet's intentions? Maybe not. What do you think? Probably not. No, probably, probably not. It was just a misunderstanding, right? How about Hamlet's father denoting what happened with the massacre? Would we still have had the tragedy of Hamlet if he had to piece together what happened? <laughs> These are leading questions, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, government records and storing those permanently. That's, that's a very interesting situation. I don't know if, if they would have chosen our drive because they probably liked the mutability of whatever record system that they had. So they could, you know, delete the things if, if, if they, so they could shred the evidence if they had to. The former king would have used a traditional storage system, you're saying? So I, th I think so. Right. Because, um, it's a really powerful thing we have going on, right. The censorship resistance, this true, like you cannot delete it. Um, I think, you know, some, some people might not want to use it because they're afraid of the power that they give up. Um, right. You know, so yeah, maybe the King didn't want to give up that power. <laughs> There's a lot to consider about the retroactive potential solutions for Danish tragedies in literature when we analyze this history. What are you most excited about RIO and like what were the steps that 
kind of led our drive to be leading this charge of decentralizing the gateway? I know it's a huge topic, but I thought we'd end on this because I'd love your perspective for the record. When I started mining Arweave, you know, there was there was always the option to run a gateway, right? That was built into the node software that the core team released. There were some extra parameters that you could pass in when you ran the software to indicate that you were a gateway and you could give it a certificate and maybe did a couple other things. It served RQL, which is the older version of, of GQL. Um, so that was always in the software because the team knew that the core protocol only went so far when it came to uh, getting the data out of the system, getting access to it. Um, so they knew that there had to be some kind of gateway component that had that responsibility, and they shipped it with the node software. Um, so ever since I you know, started mining, um, I always wanted to try to run a gateway as well. I always thought it was really interesting that, wow, you can upload your content to this decentralized network and have it spread around the world and run an access point yourself and have peer-to-peer sharing of information, right? Because like right now, if I share an Arweave link with you, it's a link to another gateway somewhere that you're accessing. So, um, you know, this concept of being able to run it yourself and then share links to data that you're also um, hosting yourself, I thought that was really cool. So I always wanted to run um, a gateway since since I found Arweave. Um, but years went by and no gateway really materialized. Um, Arweave.net became um, what it is today, which is a solution that um, can only be run in the cloud and you know needs a, a high level of of cloud expertise and knowledge to run. Um, And there were some other projects that tried to build an open source decentralized gateway, but they never completed. So, you know, myself, Ariel, our our CTO, some of the other engineers on the team, you know, we we have some experience with, um, you know, managing infrastructure and, you know, platforms as a service. So we figured, hey, you know, let's pair our drive with some really good gateway software um, and improve the index uh, performance, improve data access, and you know really make um, you know getting your data out of Arweave into this decentralized network. Um, so so yeah, we we saw that opportunity, and I think the the exciting part for me um, is being able to run is being able to build. I don't want to call it my own because it's not my own, but being able to build my own, you know, node software, my own uh, thing that other people will install and run and build their own network out of. Um, I think that is really exciting. And, you know, the infrastructure architect part of my brain obviously is really excited to design and build and test and run that. Um, you know, that's what got me into crypto is running and participating in super early networks, like what we're building now. So I'm really excited to kind of go through that whole process, but for the thing that for, for my own project, right. Not for another team. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's, I think what excites me the most is to just start running it, right. Just get another gateway out on the network 
and be able to query for our drive information, for example, and show that your data is not just decentralized and spread around the world, but you'll be able to access it from different places. Uh, because to be honest, that's something that I've been trying to do <laughs> for the past few years you know, in, in the RWeave ecosystem. And I'm uh, confident that we're, we're really close uh, to being able to do that with RIO. And it's interesting because it's like the RFS system is the way people can organize their files, keep track of their files, work with the metadata, the manifest, all the cool stuff that the team's developing. Everything. Yep. Everything. And that's philosophically aligned with the RFS project because it's like, oh, it's about democratizing and and fulfilling the philosophy of Arweave as a way of being permanent and being accessible because it is without these tools, it's a little harder to figure out. There are people figuring out solutions, but they're not as hands-on. So you're like bringing like, like Prometheus, bringing the fire to people. Well, I, I think so. Right. Um, yeah. The RFS is the data protocol, right? That's the, the way information is classified that goes into the permaweb and the gateway similarly has its own protocol that it communicates to apps um, with and other gateways. But the gateway, you know, services RFS, right? Mm. It responds to those uh, queries for the index. It, it really, it's what makes RFS happen. Um, and other data protocols that are built on Arweave that really uh, uses the index um, to return information. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. good pairing, and um, you know we think that as we you know release RIO, um, it's possible that we could have an RIO gateway that's tuned just for the R drive community that provides the best experience for RFS and other R drive specific uh, features. Um, right, that's one of the the great things that we want to do with RIO is make it so that the gateway operator can tune it to fit their needs and. Uh, their needs and their users' needs. So we'll, we'll try to explore that for our drive as well uh, in the future. And engaging their communities and making things increasingly exciting and bringing back that magic of the internet that we talked about, the magic of like po possibilities. What's exciting about it all is everything that's still to come. And uh, it's it's fun yeah. being along for the ride. And I, I love that you were able to f like follow this discursive conversation. And I guess... University of Delaware's notable alumni include our president sure. and yeah. Phil <laughs> and a lot of people in the category. So the, the average dude who loved coding is now bringing permanent data to the people. So I think that's a, that's a cool story. Yeah. That's a good narrative. I, th I want to say Joe Biden spoke at like one of my college things one year. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're a year younger than me, right? So he wasn't vice president yet. Or was he? No. He would, no. No. Um, ah, no, I don't think so. So so technically, I was a super senior and did four and a half years. Um, yeah, graduated in winter, January 2007. So. What would Biden think of um, our weave? <laughs> I don't think he would like it. <laughs> can't delete stuff. So Yeah. I really think that... Yeah, there's data that some people don't doesn't want to get deleted, and um, you know that's what our drive is for. But would a you okay? So here's a question: Would a utopian government love it? Yes. Yeah. A utopian government would love it. Yes, because you could 
store government records for really long periods of time. You know, you could archive humanity and culture and you could participate in that network and store it yourself and serve it yourself to provide the best experience to the citizens, right? And keeping this censorship resistant, you know, distributed, decentralized ledger of all that stuff around the world, just in case something were to happen to your government and make it not so utopian. So totally, I think um, governments could and should use the, the permaweb. And I think there's certainly government records that could benefit from really long retention periods. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, just might be a hard sell to some politicians, the fact that you can't delete it once it's up there, regardless if it's true or not. Right. And, and so this question of the nodes, right? Can, could the government decide enough nodes in a country won't serve a record of their president's, uh, problematic histories? Could that happen? Could it, could they compromise the Arweave network theoretically, by not letting the node show that information? Or is that impossible because it would just be shared through VPNs and that could never happen? That's like the question, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, would be, it would be impossible. Um, basically, you know, the governments would have to be doing IP address scanning and finding our weave nodes and then you know, individually blocking IP addresses because uh, that's all you need to get connected to the network. And then once you're connected to the network, you can look up transaction IDs and other peers. And um, yeah, you'll be able to start getting information out of it. Um, there's certainly no way that a government could reach into the network and just start deleting stuff, right? Unless they were somehow able to give everyone a virus that you know deletes their node software or something like that. Um, yeah. So you know that's that's certainly not possible. Um, but to be honest, who knows what could happen in the future, right? Like we see with Bitcoin, for example, um, you know, when that's in the press for groups that shouldn't be getting money. Oh, if they get it in Bitcoin, you see people asking if exchanges could freeze accounts or prevent deposits or somehow try to censor the the you know Bitcoin transactions. Um, and I think that's because Bitcoin is you know the biggest network, so it's got all the the visibility. Um, but you could imagine that at some point in the future for Arweave, that could potentially happen as well. There could really be a serious set of data that's uploaded, and you know a certain government might not want it, and they might uh, you know pressure people uh, to take that down in their region. Um, so that's. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely a possibility with all blockchains. And I think that's what makes blockchains beautiful is the fact that, you know, it's spread around the world and that that can't be done. Um, it's like whack-a-mole. That's I always hear that metaphor. Yeah, right? that's a great yeah. I haven't heard that one, but that is that's that's exactly like it, right? Our the R Weave network yeah. is a replication engine. You know, they're they're constantly replicating these chunks of data um, twenty-four by seven. Um, so you shut one down, there's still going to be others replicating that same information. Holler. Well, this is a this is great, great topics. And this is a conversation that's constantly evolving. Please join us in the discord. We have the, uh, R drive discord. We have the RIO discord. We'll have the links in the description, uh, follow us on social media. And, uh, we love hearing from the community. Phil, is there anything we didn't cover? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely covered, um, a lot. I know you had asked like, question of like what's exciting about RIO. Yeah. Um, I know we're initially starting with the stuff that the gateway is doing today, 
right? Seeding data, indexing it, caching it, et cetera. Um, and I, I don't know if we have enough time to go into all the new stuff, but we have a lot of new things planned as well um, for you know how you can access your transactions or how the gateways will validate one another or how you can maybe um, you know buy a permanent name on the gateway network. Um, you know, we're really trying to examine the tokenomics behind the RIO network and what we could really accomplish there. Um, so that is just a whole, it's a whole open book on what can really be done from, uh, from that side. And that's also really exciting, right? And, and I think we're going to really do some new and innovative things uh, in terms of how, uh, how the token is used by our users as well as gateway operators. Um, so definitely looking forward to exploring that side. Um, that's just probably a little bit after we get uh, kind of the base version of the gateway out into the wild. So certainly more to come on that, Andrew. I already have some ideas for for some videos that we can put together. That's awesome. Yeah, that that will be uh, – so stay tuned because I'm very excited about that. I have learned a lot working at our drive What Something I really love is how the tech team is very patient with like the um, non-technically minded people and – but they'll teach us how to use the CLI. Like Ariel will teach you how to learn the commands. And so I feel like I'm learning so much and it's so exciting to share this empowerment with the community. So sure is. stay tuned. Don't go away. It's just, we're just getting started here. Just getting started. <laughs> the first inning, maybe second. Maybe. Yeah. And if, if we were in the, uh, if we were in the original trilogy of star Wars, which episode are we like four, like between four and five or maybe right before six? What do you think? I mean, dude, that's a tough one. Like, who's the Empire? Like, who, like, like who, you know? <laughs> they, people would say, if you, if you say Web 2 is the Empire, that's like a problematic distillation. But at the same time, the Death Star, you know, like... I don't want to jinx us, right? Knock on wood. But maybe, we're at, maybe it's after episode four, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. Maybe there's going to be an Empire Strikes Back coming up next. Um, right? The crypto market is a little, little wobbly. Um, but we got the Jedi's on our side and we know how the story ends. So, so we're good. We're chilling. We're good. good. Okay. So <laughs> we got the force. Dude. <laughs> That's what's up. Uh, uh, Villanarios on Twitter. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate your time. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for my interview with Joe Berenbaum. We talk about the projects he's been doing in the Arweave community Be sure to check out the videos I did with our CTO, Ariel. We show how you can use the manifest in different ways. So I'm really glad we got to do that. Those videos came out really well. So tune in next time for my interview with Joe. We'll see you then. Have a great few weeks and uh, know before you stow. I'm Andrew. This has been the RCast.